Hello, welcome to Deep Geeks. I'm Mark. I'm Avery, hello. And this is the show where we spend a year not doing anything and then force ourselves to watch a decom. Oops. Um. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about, that's about the reaction I'd expect. Yeah, um, so this is the first proper episode of Deep Geeks after a year of shit. We did post a update episode where we explained what the fuck had happened. And now we're back, and for some reason, the first ever thing we decided to watch when coming back was an, a uh, Disney Channel original movie that Deke produced back when they were part of Disney. Yes, this is the 1999 made-for-TV movie, Genius. Oh, they're all made-for-TV. It's literally called a Disney Channel original movie. Well, yes, yes. Uh, It was directed by Rod Daniel, who directed Teen Wolf, and stars Trevor Morgan, Amy Rossum, and Charles Fleischer. Ooh, look at you with the information, Mr. Fucking IMDb. I actually prepared. Amazing. I think first we should probably explain what a DCOM is. Sure. Because I have very little experience with DCOMs, but you always seem to have a lot more um, knowledge of them. Well, that's putting it a bit more broadly. I don't have that much knowledge of them. Awareness. Um, Let's go with awareness. That's more accurate, yeah. Um, Well, I mean, obviously the big decom that i would know personally would be high school musical which i didn't yeah. know it i didn't know it as a decom i didn't i wasn't aware of that phrasing or terminology at the time uh but that was the big decom of my time high school musical was massive it was the big explosive one that really just popped off for disney um <sighs> and it is weird to think of it as a decom nowadays thinking looking back at it but it was but I'd say my main awareness of the concept of a decom would be fairly recent. Uh, it would have been from me watching a YouTuber called Brutal Moose, who has done a couple of reviews of some decoms uh, in the past. He did one covering the decom called Smart House, in which a teenage kid wins the house of the future. And it is utterly ridiculous on several levels and that's kind of a theme throughout most decoms uh he's done one on the 13th year in which a kid uh, has his 13th birthday and begins turning into a mermaid as you do and also more recently he's done one on xenon girl of the 23rd century um which i kind of want to talk about but that is very much something more for another podcast but yeah i've always had this very loose awareness of decoms and how ridiculous and out there they seem to be so i was quite interested in watching this one from the start and i recall we couldn't actually get onto this one before because it was kind of lost media ish um and then we couldn't disney find plus it anywhere happened. Yeah, and then Disney Plus happened, and now we suddenly have it. So, I guess, really, our pick of it for this time was mostly just out of convenience. <laughs> it's just kind of like, well, it's there. We can just watch it. Do you want to just watch it? Yeah, fuck it. Let's just watch it. So we did. And, um... 
It's definitely a, a Disney movie. It's a doozy, all right. That's from for sure. From the late 90s. Mm-hmm. So this decom seems to be about a genius prodigy um, physicist child who goes to university and then because he meets a girl decides to enroll himself in the local school uh as a cool alter ego i mean there's a lot of plot lines going on at once in this movie so there's let's just kind of take many a, plot lines. let's let's wind it back a bit let's take it step by step so first off we have our protagonist charlie boyle child prodigy He's a kid, he's interested in two main things. He's got a hyperfixation on science, and he loves hockey. He has big dreams of being a professional hockey player, which we see right at the start of the movie. This plotline never comes back again. He never plays hockey again. Like, he, he, no, wait, tell a lie. He plays it twice more in the movie, and it's well, irrelevant to all plot. Well, that's not true. The hockey thing is constantly relevant. It's all oh, yeah, no, about hockey. hockey. Itself, Hockey itself is relevant. Him wanting to become a professional hockey player does not come back. He explicitly rides around the rink playing with the hockey puck, shooting it into the goal, whilst giving himself colour commentary as if he was a professional player. So this is the initial plotline of him wanting to become a professional hockey player, and that never gets brought back up. I guess. I mean, that's more... It's sort of a humanising, this is what kids are like about sport thing. What he really wants is to just be able to play hockey with anyone. I guess. Which is ultimately the resolution of this film. So yeah, so we meet this kid. He's big on hockey, he's big on science. In case Um, you don't get that he's big on science... Uh, he explains to his father about his technique in a very scientific term and about how he's done all kinds of sci- like technobabble things to manipulate this. And his father insists on using English, to where she just says, it's all in the wrist. Doubling down, in case you didn't get that this kid is very smart and likes science, he's invented a rink cleaning device for his dad, where he just has to press a button. Also, this movie's entire perception of science is words that end in Tron. That's and not that's about true. It. There's quite a lot of detail about um, quantum physics. Complete, I, total uh, misuse of quantum physics. I genuinely doubt how accurate it is. Uh, it all sounds like largely made up in order to make it seem more smart than it actually is. I'll tell you what it is. Rather than being actual, like real quantum physics. Well, the, there's elements of actual quantum physics in it, but I mean, it's yeah, very much filtered through. It's like someone scoured articles in Popular Science magazine trying to find things that they could manipulate into plot points. Exactly. Which is why I said the movie's perception of science is words that end in Tron. The movie's perception of science is magic. Well, yeah. <laughs> Basically. Uh... I don't want to take this movie plot point by plot point because oh, we've done that don't. before. We've done that before in a, in like other movie based episodes of the show, and it's yeah, kind and of then halfway a bore. through we go, uh, and then this happens, and then this happens, and this happens. At the end. 
Every time. Exactly. Exactly. So, your key plot points as follows, and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty little things that we noted and pointed out. So, when you get introduced to our science hockey playing protag, he wants to play hockey with other people. He gets rejected from playing hockey with other people. Uh, consequently, we find out that he's been invited for a scholarship with all of the universities he's applied to, Harvard, MIT, etc. He instead record, chooses to go to Northern... No, what? For the record, he's about 12. Oh, uh, yeah. As said, child prodigy. He decides to go with Northern University of Wisconsin over all of these other places purely because one of his um, scientists that he looks up to, Dr. Crickstein, just happens to be there trying to find the graviton. And consequently, he goes to uh, that university. He has to teach some classes there as part of his scholarship. Uh, he fails completely at doing that. Uh, continues working with Dr. Crickstein to find the, the Gravitron. Uh, all the while, he meets this girl who happens to be the uh, daughter of the team coach of the hockey team at the university. Uh, enrolls himself to the local junior high school so that he gets to be closer with the girl, invents a persona for himself called Chaz Anthony to try and make himself look more cool and get in with the kids and be friends with people. Eventually, those two lives start to converge very quickly, and he has to juggle between being Charlie and between being Chaz. Eventually, the whole game is rumbled. Um, he ruins the big hockey game between his university's team and an opposing university's team, uh, that has to be postponed. Comes up with a plan that fixes everything. And then everyone have lived happily ever after because the hockey team won and he got the girl back and now they're all friends again. The end. Now, the end. One of your big criticisms of a lot of things tends to be just this is nothing. Um, This is too much. Yes. I agree fully. There is a <laughs> lot going on in this movie and it has really bizarre pacing yeah you kind of get two-thirds of the way through and you think well it's wrapping up now you notice there's another 20 minutes and you say oh right yes hockey yeah basically like the entire thing of him going to the university then finding the girl becoming Chaz, going to the junior high school having these two lives converge like all of this happens within the first 40 minutes that could have There's been a film. another forty minutes after that. That could have been a different film. Yes, twenty minutes happen where, like, they like some like vague plot resolutions happen, and then the remaining twenty minutes of the film is hockey, just all hockey, just, nothing else. Just this completely different feel of film. Yes, one hundred percent. It is downright bizarre, and yet. I would probably say it's the best movie from Deke we've seen. It's terrible. It's pretty bad. This is there absolutely are... my horror movie. Here's the problem <laughs> I have with this. Okay. I have a social anxiety disorder. Yes. Now, I've mostly managed to get control of my social anxiety disorder. Uh, this, however, is a whole bunch of my triggers pushed together into one concentrated form. So sitting through this film actively activated my fight-or-flight response continuously for about an hour. Yeah, that 
doesn't really do it many favours, I will be honest. Um, I would definitely say that I also have social anxiety, but a lot of it just made me mildly angry and just kind of like, this wouldn't happen in university, because this is more like high school than anything else. Yeah. And it's just kind of making me glad that I entirely dodged high school, because holy shit, I think high school would have been my personal hell. Um... Yeah, there is definitely there's definitely some unpleasant aspects to watching this, for sure. But I think, what I mean by when it's the best one we've seen, I mean, in comparison to Archie to Riverdale and back again, or in comparison to Meet the Deedles, which was possibly one of the most nothing deep things we've ever seen. Are you sure it's better than Meet the Deedles? I mean, if you want to go for that rewatch, <laughs> but I'm no, entirely this is game. a discussion we have to have later. Sure, fine. Uh, as I said, this is too much. There is several plot lines that get introduced and then never comes back again. No, like there's several like different plot devices that happen. For example, when they uh, Charlie and his dad are discussing the fact that he's gotten into several universities for scholarships. He also shows off this fancy science hockey stick that he's been designing in his room uh, this entire time and manages to send a puck through both his own bedroom window and several other windows in the distance. You'd think that this would be a thing that comes back later on, like, oh, my great new hockey stick, I can use it in the game and help them win the game. No, never comes back. Yeah, you'd think it was Chekhov's hockey stick. It's not. Exactly. But no, it just goes away. Well, I can't help but feel that this, uh, the script, maybe went through far too many um, drafts. It definitely seems that way, yeah. Because there there are things that are there that get dropped or which get introduced at the last minute uh within the first few minutes uh we're introduced to the character the the um what's the genius is called again which one uh it's char charlie oh yeah charlie Charlie stroke Chaz. yeah uh, we're introduced to Charlie and told that he has a photographic memory. Uh, this is completely forgotten later when he um, gets his stories mixed up between Charlie and Chaz. Yeah. So he's actively disproving his own character? It's very bizarre. I mean, other things that come up and get forgotten about uh let's see what have we got here um there was a party that went on outside of the dormitories that stretched on for ages and it was massive and really noticeable and loud that entire situation was never really explained or never really comes up again um Charlie has to do some class teaching as part of his scholarship. We see two scenes in which he teaches a class and he storms out of the room after the second class. That entire class teaching plot line never comes back up again. Well, it does because he needs to tutor the troublemaker from his class. Right, but that's not him teaching a class. His scholarship involves him teaching classes. He teaches classes twice and then never again. Well, yeah, there's, you're right. Tutoring there's no a dude who comes to up we, to him. We never see him successfully teach a class. Exactly. The plotline is dropped. 
In favor of hockey. In favor of hockey, yes. Um, other things that I noted in regarding plot inconsistencies. Um, when uh, Charlie and Dr. Crickstein actually find the uh, Graviton, as it were, the alarm attached to the particle accelerator that they've got goes off. Which they say explicitly is that once it goes off, they've isolated the Graviton. Right. Sure. Fine enough. When Charlie first enters that lab, the particle accelerator's alarm is going off. Huh. It's literally going off. So they okay. found the Graviton well before they found the Graviton, apparently. Okay. So also, um, later on, that alarm continuously goes off uh, when uh, the particle accelerator ends up ruining the game. Uh we established the only way they found the Graviton, but it was by playing music. You've got resonating harmonics involved. Yeah. There's yeah, no yeah. music playing when they do it that time. <laughs> no, no, it just goes off and then it somehow magically breaks up all of the ice. See, this is which why then I magically say... gets healed the next day. Yeah, this is what, well, I don't think it's the next day, but well, it's still... The, look, the perception and passage of time in this movie is completely off the rails. Time and space. Yeah. Where is this um, school? How close is this school to this <laughs> university? It's close enough that he manages to get to and from the two places pretty quickly. Right. And we never see him travelling between the two. It's always just a hard cut from one to the other. And also, just to further reinforce how vague the passage of time is, um, there is, like, a scene in which Chaz controls a model skeleton behind a teacher with a simple remote control car controller. Don't really know how that works, but whatever. That's not the point of the whole scene in the first place. The scene is, haha, funny skeleton moves. But, like, after that we have the second class teaching scene, and then after that we have him back at the school, and he says to Claire that apparently they're going to kick him out of school unless he gets better grades. As far as I can tell, he's been at this school for two days. I can't tell if that is a lie no, that he no, is saying to Claire. He's definitely been there for at or... least a week, because at the start of that class, he says, Oh no, that may be three days. How many <laughs> detentions in how many days? Oh god, none of this makes any sense. So yeah, there is that. What other notes do I have here? Oh, yeah. Um, if the scholarship specifically involves from teachers' classes to the kids at the university and not attending classes, why is he forced to share a dorm with students? That's also a good point. In fact, the fact that he was being expected to uh, share a dorm with one of his students would be a massive conflict of interest. Yeah, that too. Uh, Dr. Kritzstein paraphrases Einstein without saying that he's paraphrasing Einstein, which you would think he would do because he's a big fancy smart science man. Yeah, that just felt like low-hanging fruit that they didn't pick as scriptwriters. Yeah. Should have looked into who the scriptwriter was. That's un unusual for me. Um... 
there is also the excellent scenes in which they are using computers and you get to see these weird fake Windows 98 uh, kind of Windows and UI happening, oh, including God. him enrolling himself onto the local junior high school with a simple form which seems to uh, consist entirely of entering your full name and then a password. And that's kind of it. And he gets to go in the very next day. Somehow. That's not how enrolling to school works. You can't just go in the very next day. I mean, was it supposed to be that he was hacking into it? No. But- no, it very clearly it was obviously the actual school yeah. uh, homepage. It wasn't hacking in at all. What I'm saying is, in the script, was it more implied to be hacking? Because it's certainly not that what's implied in the, um, the, the art design. Yeah. Um... Although it does lead up to a very good setup for a joke in which uh, Dr. Gritstein finds out about the entire situation purely because Charlie forgot to actually close the window and instead just minimised it. Really? Early version of that brings joke? brings it up. Yeah. It's a good joke, though. Yeah, it's so weird that it's able to just have these very clean, simple, duh jokes and then everything else is so messy and convoluted and doesn't work because every now and again it just comes up with this brilliant uh witty idea like the uh the fact that the rival they kind of play up the ridiculous uh violent (laughs) nature of the rival hockey team that the um uh university team is playing the ransom raiders yeah and so when you get to see the uh, the arena, uh, everyone is booing them, and the the guys watching uh, Northern are saying, "Well, obviously Northern got, is." I've, hold on, hold on. I've got the exact quotes for you. If you like. oh, you good, you like this one as well. <laughs> I, I I felt like it was worth noting. Um, you have two of the kids uh, who were from the junior high school that are inexplicably there, I guess. Um, at well, the hockey it's because game. Uh, it's because this is the local team. Oh yeah. Uh, the kid in the bucket hat, who who I think is oh wait no it's not the kid in the bucket it's, it's I think it's their names are Odie and Dion. I think it is. I think something like that. Uh, Dion says it sounds like the Northern fans are going to drown out the Rumson fans and Odie says dude those are the Rumson fans it turns out they only respond to negative reinforcement I hear they recruit exclusively from broken homes that's such a dark joke it's a really bizarre joke to just kind of have in there I mean, but it's, it's funny and there are definitely a couple of weirdly dark jokes in here I mean one way earlier on um, just before the uh, the university scholarship discussion. Uh, Charlie's dad says to him, "You skipped dinner to spend your evening in your room futzing with a hockey stick and feeling sorry for yourself." And Charlie responds with, "Not entirely. Took a minute to feel sorry for the people in war torn countries." <sighs> like, but that's just that's just there. That's such a bizarre joke to just have. I, <laughs> it's so strange. And then you have. Um, the Dean, who is possibly the best character in this entire movie. Oh, God, yes. Just this... 
character actor who has been given just this nothing role. Yeah. And yet just runs with it. Yeah. So he, he basically just is flexing his acting chops by making the most out of nothing and just hamming it up, but like subtly. I guess is how how, how you'd say it. It's, the strategic is, chewing of scenery. Yes, exactly. Um, for example, the, the my my favourite quote that I wrote down here was um, him saying, "If we beat our arch rival tonight, we get to take some home some sort of great big cup, would we not?" And the coach just says, "Yes," and the dean just goes, "Yeah, I want that cup so badly," and then he basically just walks off. <laughs> Well, he says, so you know what's at stake. And then walks yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just the way he thoughts. says, a great big cup. Yeah, he just, he just <laughs> idly thinking like, hmm, great big cup. I want a cup. This is certainly a thing. <laughs> it really is. I mean... Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what I mean, like, there are parts in it that I like, there's lots of parts where it's inexplicable, there's parts where it's confusing about what's going on, and how it all works out in the long run, and how overly long it is, and how it kind of changes movie. I still, when I say I kind of like this one... Uh, I'm not sure I do. Um, obviously because of the aforementioned... I mean, uh, if you look past the anxiety... anxiety spike... Well, if you, I look past the anxiety spike, there's also the uh, large amount of terrible physical comedy. There's not that much physical comedy in this. Uh, there is towards the end, when it becomes a completely different film full of physical comedy. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, let's uh, go over that. So, basically, um, after Charlie manages to fuck up the ice rink by leaving the particle accelerator on, because that makes sense, um, the game gets postponed, everyone hates him apart from Crickstein, it moves on, Charlie tries to get Claire to like him again by basically harassing her over the phone, it obviously doesn't work. Now, I mean, everything that Charlie does uh, trying to caught this girl uh would be extremely creepy if um they weren't 12 yeah pretty much if you apply any of the stuff from here it would be serious alarm bells time yeah um back at the lab uh both charlie and quickstein have figured out how to make one item control another with science and Gravitons, and Gubbins, and by science I mean two bouncy balls, which Charlie acknowledges looks like bouncy balls, because they're literally just bouncy balls. And hang on, isn't the whole point of low-budget props is that you don't acknowledge they're low-budget props unless it's for a joke? I mean, you can acknowledge, you can lampshade it. Lampshading it is entirely I... uh, acceptable. Alright, sure. Anyway, Charlie realises he can fix literally everything with this specific bit of tech and goes to try and reclaim his friends from the junior high school. They all still don't pay any attention to him until he says that his name is Charlie Boyle and for some reason that persuades them all back into helping them. I... what? Yeah, I... I can't... (laughs) 
I mean, they know he's Charlie Boyle. Yeah, that's the entire reason they left him, because they found out that he's not Chaz Anthony. I mean, I can only assume that a previous draft had him refusing to acknowledge the fact that he was Charlie Boyle previously. Maybe. Maybe, because it just doesn't fit. Anyway, the plan is for Charlie to stick on some fridge magnets onto very specifically one skate out of three players who perform the infamous Rumson Rack, which was mentioned all the way at the back of the movie, where they go after the one specific good player and basically knock him out. Yeah, that that valley is Chekhov's hockey spike. Yes. Uh, the concept being is that as soon as a power switch is thrown, the, um, they can control these three players by attaching uh, matching fridge magnets to their rollerblades. Somehow this works. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. This is no. the most pseudoscience-y part of the movie. And despite this only being attached to one of their feet, it somehow controls their entire body. Yeah, despite the fact that they have... Um, I mean, I will give them this if they use some very Star Trek level technobabble to explain I mean, yeah. this. And then they go directly against how it's stated to work. Yeah, that was what I was about to say. They literally explained it five minutes ago and then it goes against that. Uh, anyway, it turns out that they lose the third chip and then in comes Dr. Crickstein with the third chip who was also against the idea beforehand and suddenly had a change of heart, I guess. I don't know. Uh, he crashes into a wall, which makes the hockey player crash into a wall, saves the game, sparks fly, and then all of a sudden they're up in the air. Because apparently reversing the polarity makes them float. That is no straight one... up Star Trek Technobabble. <laughs> no one... Like, really reacts to this. The Northern Hockey Team, the University Hockey Team, manages to get a single point, which secures them a win, one to nil. No one questions why there are now three hockey players just floating in the air. No one explains how they got down. It just happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. It just, that's it. Also, was one of them still in the penalty box? Is there a guy just hitting the ceiling? I have no idea. I know, because the guy in the penalty box escapes, and he goes, he, he makes a beeline, and then Crickstein comes in, controls him, slams him into the ball. Oh, right, yeah, he's that one. Yeah. Uh, anyway, after that, all's well, it ends well. They all play hockey in the nondescript ice rink outside. Uh, the no hey, lads from the Northern Lake. University... Oh, yeah, okay, fine. Well, the lads from the Northern University join in as well. Crickstein joins in. The Northern team gets lumped with Crickstein. They all play hockey. Everyone's happy. The end. Yeah. It's a very kind of, ah, shit, lads, we've got to wrap up the movie. We don't have any way of wrapping up the movie. What are we going to do? And then in comes Gogart. Don't worry, I got this sorted. Don't you worry. And he just does this fucking random bodge ending that... It's all too convenient and really indicates that they didn't quite know what they were doing. Yeah, it's very hodgepodge. It just doesn't function. I mean, you know what I don't get? Yeah? Why is the entire hockey team in the physics class? I mean, it's university, not high school. 
you don't have to take physics. It's a good question, honestly. Shouldn't they be studying something other than something they have no interest in? At the very least, physical health, because that's usually what you end up putting the college sports team on. Okay, so there is an interesting article uh, online from the website Nostalgia is the New Black that has an interview with one of the writers of this movie, Dan Studney. Okay. Uh, and it explains a little bit about like the production process of it. Um, basically, this lad, John Reuck, penned the original draft of Genius, and then Dan and Jim Lincoln came on and reworked the entire thing. Changing up the plot and adding characters. Right, so it's their fault. Yeah, basically. Um, oh says here that uh, Dan thought he and Jim might have also come up with the concept of Claire. Um, and also that they had to do a lot of research about quantum physics and stuff in order to make what they were saying believable. And so he read things like Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time and stuff like that, and he's confessed that he only understood about 3% of the book. Um, also goes over the fact that Dan and Jim rewrote a lot of the original draft and how several of the scenes never made the final cut. So, for example, after the character of Mike... Uh, who is one of the students at the university, tells Charlie that he needs help passing science so he can continue playing hockey. There was supposed to be a sequence showing Charlie using, um, like, hockey itself to help teach Mike and the rest of the team understand science gubbins, like teaching him about physics by playing hockey. So that would help. That yeah. Would make the, that would pace the film better. <laughs> also, apparently, there's a bit of laying them science using pizza from pizza toppings, apparently, but these scenes were never filmed, <laughs> likely due to budget and scheduling. What's notable is that um, as it was about to come out, they, it had a massive premiere at Irvine Meadows Amphitheater in California where Disney Channel hosted premieres in the park, which was apparently an all-day event filled with picnic picnics, bounce houses, games, and culminated in the premiere of Genius on a giant screen. Uh, guests could post with life-size cardboard cutouts of the characters from the movie uh, and stuff. They had Disney performers on stage for the pre-show. Massive event. Why? Gigantic Disney Channel balloon as well. Oh, right, to promote the Disney Channel. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, no. Though there was never any talk about making a sequel to Genius or expanding its universe, Dan still shared what he thought happened to the characters, and it's the fan fiction I didn't know I needed. Oh, boy, here we go. All right, so he says, Charlie and Claire clearly get married and have children. I guess their marriage almost breaks up because what happens is Crickstein gets glossed over for the Nobel Prize and he becomes Charlie's white whale to get Crickstein that Nobel Prize. <laughs> You're doing it at the expense of your own children, Charlie. They start fighting. Crickstein's like, Charlie, it's not important to me. Don't worry about it. Go save your marriage. And then I guess somehow Bear and Mike and those guys and Odie all come up to go help Crickstein get the Nobel Prize so then Charlie can get back to his family. I he would laughs. watch that. <laughs> yeah. That, that I would, would be a better film. If, if that's Genius 2, I would watch Genius 2. 
Um, but that's about it's not like, all that's covered. It's not like Trevor Morgan's doing anything these days. <laughs> we could probably make it happen. Um, I mean, um, I, I have some details of the main players. Uh, Trevor Morgan uh, didn't really do that much after being a child actor. Uh, he's mostly in indie movies these days, which is quite frankly a nice place to be. Yeah, um, that's fair. But, I mean, considering that as a child he had roles in The Sixth Sense, The Patriot, and Jurassic Park 3, uh, all in a three-year period that Oof. he shared, that Genius came out within. Damn. Uh, that's a bit of a downgrade from where he was. I mean, I guess. I would personally see again, it as kind of a light retirement. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, so more than fair. Being in massive movies that are very much critically acclaimed and that, yeah. Fuck it. Uh, I Just chill out and go back to the indie movies afterwards. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, say the Patriot the... or Jurassic Park 3 well, were critically yeah, acclaimed. I, but, uh... I did think that as a moment after I said it. <laughs> but they were like, big. Oh, maybe not Jurassic Park They 3. were big, but, yeah. and that's the important thing. They were massive. Uh, Emmy Rossum, who played Claire, uh, is far more successful. Best known for playing Fiona Gallagher in the American version of Shameless, mm. which she did for nine years. Jesus, the, I didn't know the American version of Shameless went on for that long. Apparently so. Um, she also Jeez. played Bulma in Dragon Ball Evolution. Uh, 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 uh. Which is completely unfair of me, because she was also in Mystic River the day after tomorrow and the Joel Schumacher version of Phantom of the Opera. But, you know, Dragon Ball Evolution. <laughs> I won't... I, I will take any That's opportunity sad. to reference Dragon Ball Evolution because I love that terrible, terrible movie. Would you like to watch it as a bonus episode, Marky? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we're struggling to make episodes as is. We don't need bonuses <laughs> yet. Oh, uh, uh, well. Finally, Charles Fleischer played Dr. Krakenstein. Uh He was a stand-up comedian who got his big break on an episode of Rowan Martin's Laughing. Um, Ron Martin's laughing coming up again on Deep Geeks. Uh, he's best known again? as the voice of Roger Rabbit. Wait, when did it course. come up the first time? Uh, one, the main writer of the Where's Wally series. Oh, right. Was a laughing writer. Blimey. It's been a while since I've mentioned it. The most interesting thing I could find about Charles Fleischer, aside from the fact that he was the voice of Roger Rabbit, was that he replaced Bob Hoskins as the voice of Boris the Goose in the straight-to-video Balto sequels. <laughs> That's quite an interesting uh, place to be in. So, yeah, I mean, I can't find many connections between... Um, uh, these figures and other Deke things, because let's face it, this is far more Disney than Deke. Oh, absolutely. 100%. This is the archetypical Deke. There is definitely the Deke stank that is all over it, I would say. Uh, Not I quite guess... as hard as Meet the Deedles. Meet the Deedles had the Deke stank really <laughs> fucking juicy like, but, you know. But I mean, it very much fits with the Disney archetype at the time. I, I think of things like um, Flobber. Mm, yeah. But without a budget. Flobbitch. I don't know. <laughs> ah, that's not a joke. Anyway, so we've had a chat. We've had a talk about the plot line, what we liked about it, what we didn't like about it, what we found confusing about it, the things behind it, all that kind of good ones. So 
Now it's time for the fateful moment. The ranking. Where the fuck does this go? Well, obviously we're ranking it on, mo- on our movie list. Mm-hmm. Which, which currently is... comprises of six things. <laughs> they didn't make movies that often. No, they did not. From top to bottom, uh, in at number one, we've got Meet the Deedles. Then Archie to Riverdale and back. Oof. Inspector Gadget 1999. Oof. Time Kid. Oof. Monster Mash. Oof. And Groove Squad. Oof. Jesus yeah. Christ. Okay, so, I mean, ultimately, as I alluded to earlier, this might be a matter of, is this better or worse than Meet the Deedles? Yeah, this is really the thing. And it's, it's pretty close. It very much is. I think this is more watchable than Meet the Deedles. Meet the Deedles isn't inherently draining and nothing. Genius uh, isn't inherently draining and nothing, sorry. Meet the Deedles is draining and nothing. Uh, uh, Meet the Deedles is just surfer bro references and the word Deedle repeated ad nauseum. Whereas Genius at least tries to have a plot. <laughs> too many of them. Yeah, it tries a little bit too hard, but at least it has something there. And as much as it is triggering for social anxiety stuff it is at least at the very least watchable it's something that you can put on and not get so inanely tired of that you have to turn it off it's not obnoxious i mean it is obnoxious it's just not the level of compared to other things it is not obnoxious meet the deedles is the most obnoxious thing it is disastrous it's Paulie Shaw's biodome level of obnoxious. And it doesn't have a terrible white person rapping section, so it doesn't go below Riverdale and back. Yeah. Yeah. The story is a lot more interesting and silly and fun than to Riverdale and back. And unlike Meet the Deedles, there's actually a story. I think I've made my... I made my case. I yeah, think it has I to go do. above Deedles. I, I completely agree. I think this might be the best film we have seen. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Our new top spot for the movies ranking is fucking genius. Neither of us saw this coming, but then we looked at the list again and went, oh, fuck. <laughs> Oh dear. I think that's will do it for now. Yeah. Um <laughs> And on that note <laughs> <laughs> This has been Deep Geeks. Thank you very much for listening. Um That's kind of it. We don't have yeah. anything else to say at the end anymore. We We've eliminated all of it. It's oh, has good. our archive. That's Lovely. about it. Yeah, you can go to mostlycobolds.com for all of the old articles that we wrote ages ago. And then also a link to all of the podcasts that we've done. And also if the ranking list. Yeah, if you're listening to this, you're already on the new RSS, so we don't even have to talk about that. Thank you for switching, if you did. Good job. Well you done. did it. Well done. Hooray. Ten points. Participation award. Way. Go you. A big, big cup. Ooh, big cup.